Let all things rise. Week five of our Easter series this week is entitled Raised Up. Last week we heard uh, sown in weakness, right? Is that, how many think that Josiah did an awesome job last week, right? Some good stuff. I, I see Josiah quotes now on Facebook. I don't know. <laughs> Josiah quotes, right? <laughs> you look good with little things over your head, right? This is a Josiah quote. Hold on. All right. And although I won't be sharing uh, with you the traditional Easter stories of women going to the tomb on the morning of the first day of the week to find the tomb has been opened and is now, in fact, empty, or of the interaction of angels from heaven with both the Roman soldiers guarding the tomb, causing them to become comatose, as the angels rolled away the stone from the tomb, or the angels' instructions to the women to go and tell, go and tell, thus launching the first apostolic evangelistic crusade in the history of the church, right? Women have a place in the church of Jesus Christ. But I will take a moment to tell you this. Jesus, the Christ of God, came to us. Emmanuel, that is, God with us. Because God loves us and proved the depth of that love at the cross as God died for us to pay the price for our sin, and three days later, early in the morning, on the first day of the week, the women who went to the tomb found it empty of Jesus, but not empty of life. The angels were already there. We know you seek Jesus. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. God defeated death for us so that we would know life and life more abundant. I have to ask the question, do you know this Jesus yet? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior, this wondrous, loving, giving, powerful God? Have you believed in your heart that Jesus died for you and confessed with your mouth that God raised him from the dead? If not, then why not? And if not, then why not right now? If there's never been a time in your life where you've said to Jesus, you know, when I said it to him, I looked at a ceiling. And I said, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need a savior. If you really exist, would you come to me? And he did. Three days later, he showed up in powerful ways. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior, accepted the work of the cross that he did, giving his life for your life, then today is the day to do it. The Bible is clear. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't think, well, I can put it off for a year. You don't know what the next hour holds. But today, if you're stirred in your heart, if you've been moved by the worship, if you've heard you know, an interesting thing today, I heard this song, and, and all they were doing, they were just singing, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I stopped weeping, just hearing his name. And I thought, let me see, try something. Henry, Henry, you know, it did nothing for me. 
But when I hear his name, is that so wild that even the name of Jesus gets deep down into your soul, deep into your spirit, and elicits something from you that no other name given under heaven can do except the mighty name of Jesus Christ, and that is salvation of your soul. And if you would receive Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to be really bold and just stand up. Just stand up, and we'll pray together. Anybody today who wants to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior is Resurrection Sunday, the beginning of new life, new creation. Going once, going twice, three times, we're moving on. All right. Got to give it, though. Got to give that invitation. And so today we come full circle in the series and to the end of our five weeks. Let all things rise, Easter and the new creation. And again, I want to reiterate what I said at the opening of the series because I believe that we cannot, that we must not separate the idea of resurrection from the reality of new creation. And if we do, then we rob ourselves of the full impact of our great and future hope in Jesus as the Christ. Although we may not be cognizant of the reality and importance of new creation as demonstrated through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we may be of other ideas, of what the outworking of our Christian faith may produce in the long term or as a result of it coming to its own culmination, the fact is that the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and the restoration of all things from the sin-soaked corruption of the fall after the initial creation is the main fact of the matter. If you can follow that, you're doing really good. <laughs> Paul the Apostle states that if there is, was no resurrection, then our faith would be vain, empty, and lifeless. 1 Corinthians 15. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is vain, empty, and lifeless. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. Listen, without the resurrection, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. But we know, do we not, that Christ was in fact raised from the dead? The tomb is empty. He is risen indeed. And we know this why? Because new creation has already begun in us. And if in us, then all things become susceptible to the contagion of his love that has been birthed 
in our hearts. Listen to Paul to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And that is why Paul proclaims, and I believe joyfully proclaims in Romans 8.19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons, and I'll add daughters, of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I want to say that last part again. The freedom of the glory of the children of God. Do you know that there is freedom abiding in you because of the glory of Jesus Christ? You were once in bondage. You were once in bondage to fear of death. You had no knowledge of glory. And now that you've received Christ, glory abides in you. And where glory abides, death cannot tamper. There is freedom. There is liberty in Christ. There is life, and there is life more abundant in him. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, the resurrection from the dead. Listen, when we are born again, again, at the final resurrection, all of creation will be born again also. New heavens, new earth. Book of Revelation. That's the end of the story. New heavens, new earth, new body. Good news, Pat Wilson? New body, right? <laughs> Absolutely. For what I received, I passed on to you as the first of the first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Here in this little snippet of 1 Corinthians, Paul says that he's passing on something of first importance. Any decent Bible reader would do well to slow down and make sure they are catching what is such a high priority. Apparently, the first order business here is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus was not unaware of this fact. Listen to his words just prior to the events that led to his death, burial, and resurrection. And I'm sure there is no question here that Jesus is referring to himself in this statement in John 12, 23, Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And so if he just left it there, you'd think, well, that's a good thing, right? 
Truly, truly, you, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it's part of the same sentence structure. It remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. The good news of the gospel is rooted in a very particular story that is filled with surprises at every turn. It's surprising that Jesus, a person, flesh and blood, a man, a human being, is in reality God. That's surprising, don't you think? It's surprising that God could be killed. Isn't God eternal? And it's utterly shocking that after all of that, death could not have the final word, that in the end, death would give way to life again in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If this was first order stuff for Jesus in his mission and with the Apostle Paul in his message, then it must also be a priority for the church. Our message is not primarily generalized religious information about how to have a better life. Our message is not primarily how to have a better marriage or raise happy children. Instead, our message is, first and foremost, a declaration of who God is, Jesus, and what he has done, overcome death by his own death and resurrection. The church is a herald of this bewildering good news. Everything else is secondary to this, because if you don't have the first, you don't get the rest. It is also not lost on me that Paul says that this message is not only what he has, is passing on, but what he received. For every believer, there is a sense in which he must come to faith with open hearts and open hands. We come in poverty. We come and re receive it from others. This gospel thing didn't start with us, and it will not end with us. We receive it, and we pass it along. This is the ultimate vocation of the church, to receive and to proclaim. This is the ultimate goal of Christian worship, to receive and proclaim those things of first-order importance. God is not making chessboards for his entertainment. Instead, he has made the world and entered into the world at the deepest level possible up to and including taking on flesh and enduring the stinging losses of death. And after lying in the tomb, stone cold dead for three days, he was raised again to life. And that would be nothing more than a really nice story, unless it's true that God made the worlds and by the word of his son, and the son entered into the world, was killed and then forever raised, if that is true, then something more is actually going on. Incarnation is the mystery that suggests that what happens in the world has somehow happened to God. Have you ever considered that? That what happens to you happens to the one who loves you? How many of you have ever had a family crisis 
and everyone in the family gets wiped out by it, right? doesn't happen to a singular person. Where there's relationship, it happens to the all. And it's the same thing with the Father. When you're in relationship with Jesus, your losses are his losses. Your gains are his gains. He is connected with you intimately and lovingly. He feels your pain. The resurrection is the glorious hope that what has happened to God will one day happen to the world. And that the two mysteries, incarnation and resurrection, have been bound together forever in Jesus Christ. So I want to do a little video clip of my favorite theologian, uh, N.T. Wright. I just He's going to touch on this matter for just a few minutes. Let me finish up with this. The gospel is the hope that what God has done in his son will also be done for the cosmos. How big is that? That's all of creation, the cosmos. It's the big picture. Okay? That every feeble and weak thing will be strengthened. That every broken thing will be mended. And that every dead thing will be raised to life. The rhetoric of the resurrection can be quite heady. It could seem like a loophole in the system or a sleight-of-hand magic trick. It is actually neither. Resurrection doesn't have one ounce of denial in it anywhere, precisely because one cannot have a resurrection without first having death. And death is final. Death is for sure. Christianity is not a denial-based avoidance mechanism. Instead, it is a clear-eyed look at the world as it actually is with the hope that all its glories will one day be fully revealed. This is part of the beauty and hope of resurrection, that God is doing his very best work in the very worst places. This is why Christians can endure pain and difficulty and perhaps expect it. And this is a good segue for me. Uh, I don't know if you saw the headlines this morning. In Sierra Leone, in the middle of their, Christ their Easter services, uh, terrorists bombed several local churches, and at this point, 138 are dead, and uh, they don't know how many wounded. So, you know, it's nice to gather here without a sense of threat or caution, have the freedom to worship. But there are brothers and sisters all over the world who don't have that assurance and yet will worship anyways. They will put their life on the line. Why? Because they know of the power of the resurrection will raise them up again in newness of life one day. So, Lord, I lift up to you those who are suffering worldwide, for those especially in Sierra Leone. Lord, I don't pray for those who have gone on because they're looking at your face right now. But I pray for the families who suffer the loss and endure uh, the terror and, and the heartache in that, that you would comfort them and give them the assurance they need to get through this, Lord. I ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.
We know that we have not been abandoned or left for dead. This is why believers often do the difficult work of justice and mercy, because to do so is in some small way to anticipate resurrection. When we were in Cambodia, Kat and I went over with Love 146, and we were doing uh, rescues of trafficked children over there, going into the, into the nightclubs and rescuing little teenage girls out of these horrendous situations. And one of the team members asked uh, the team leader, who was a, a local, um, where are all the, the Buddhists? Where are all the Hindus? What about the Muslims? And they said, what do you, what do you mean? He said, well, what, what organizations do they have? What work do they do? And he just kind of looked very puzzled. He said, listen, nobody does this work except the Christians. They're the only ones that go into the bars and rescue the children. For the Buddhists, it's just karma. For the Hindus, it's their fate. You know, for the Muslims, inshallah. It doesn't matter to them. It only matters to those who have a view of the resurrection and a new creation hope in their heart. That we become the answer for the desperate, for the needy, for the downtrodden, for the, for the homeless and the hurting. You're the answer that Jesus is expressing to the world right now, a world that is in such despair. That's why he says, you're, you're the light of the world. Don't put a basket over it. Right? Don't put a basket over it. And then when all our efforts amount to nothing, when we do not get the results we hope for, we have this enduring hope resonating within us that if not now, sometime later, God will raise up and bring to perfect resolution everything our work did not see. His word never returns to him void. He's just not on our timetable. As Frederick Buchner noted, resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Isn't that good news? The worst thing is never the last thing. Let me close with this gospel account from Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, for he is risen. He is risen indeed. So let all things rise and bless your name, all things made right and new again. The Lord bless you keep you. If you want to hang out and, and have your photo shoot opportunity, just take your time. We'll be here as long as is necessary. If you'd like some prayer, you know, we talked about some heavy stuff today. If you want some prayer, uh, there'll be several of us up here to minister to that need. Otherwise, the Lord bless you. I hope you have a lamb for dinner. 
and uh, keep you. We'll see you next week. What a baptisms next week. It'll be glorious.